3: And welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel Here today with Thomas Kelly Originally of Minneapolis, now of Mexico and the Chili Lab And, you know, I wonder how someone from the Twin Cities Gets involved in Mexican slash barbecue And fuses those two things together So let's start in the northern Midwest
4: And talk about your rearing and your obsession with food back then Sure um, so thanks for having me, first of all. Uh, I think that, I guess the origins of, of Mexico in terms of, uh, being from of Minneapolis are just like a lot of kids growing up, um, with, you know, fathers who love grilling outside and smoking. And, um, I kind of took to that very early on and, um, started kind of experimenting with my father out in the backyard, just doing a ton of smoked meats, smoked fish, that kind of thing during the summer.
3: Was it from a specific heritage, or w- were there regional barbecue
4: joints in Minneapolis? No, not at all. I mean, we didn't go to eat barbecue food in, in Minneapolis. Um, I think there's one chain called Famous Dave's, which is pretty decent, and we go there occasionally, and I thought that was great. Um, and, uh, but, but not so much eating barbecue out at restaurants. It was a lot of kind of experimenting at home.
3: Yeah, from books, from TV. I'm I'm just trying to figure out, like, what's the reference point? It's so so funny to hear people that say, oh, yeah, and I started doing this, and it's like in a vacuum.
4: Yeah, totally. Um, So I I think that probably, if anything, it was, um, uh, you know, some of the early kind of um, just cookbooks and uh, food network, for sure. Um, You know, that was kind of, you know, when I was growing up in Minneapolis, and talking, you know, twenty twenty five years ago, it was sort of somewhat early days of Food Network. But I became just obsessed with, you know, all the kind of early Food Network stars um, and uh, and probably, you know, took a lot away from that. I don't remember anyone in particular that was doing just barbecue. Um, but, you know, Bobby Flay was doing kind sort of, you know, Mexican, you know, sort of Southwestern food early on and um, so sort of taking bits and pieces from, you know, different influences and probably taking stuff as much from, you know, watching like Mario Batali. Was it Malto? Oh, Malto, yeah. Malto Mario. We had like three show, people exactly. at the counter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Three people at the counter, just him just spouting off like his amazing encyclopedic knowledge of food and that kind of thing. So um, probably taking as much from those shows uh, as, you know, anything in the Mexican barbecue world. Um, I think there was, was it Edward Lee who was doing a show early on? Um, or another chef, an Asian chef who was doing great stuff anyway. And there's all kinds of incredible, you know, sort of smoking that's involved in, you know, Asian and Korean cooking. And so kind of taking bits and pieces from everywhere. Yeah.
3: You know, I'm going to gloss over your formal education, getting a BA in humanities. It seemed like you were more interested in just getting to New York and figuring it out. Yeah, completely.
4: Um, Yeah, I was, um, it's taken me a while to kind of get on the right sort of path here. But uh, I, uh, yeah, started, um, you know, started out studying art history in in Colorado, which I loved, and then uh, moved to New York after that and looked in the art world a little bit, but pretty much uh, immediately jumped into kind of the food world and also did some marketing. But, you know, was was really kind of trying to find my way in the food world
3: dip your toes at food 52 but then it was the kitchens of craft and hearth yeah Uh, i mean marco canora being part of both of those yeah what was it that drew you to that type of cuisine and and that type of chef
4: yeah well so actually i so this was during early days in in new york i I moved to new york and i uh, i found a job um, because i couldn't find one in the art world i ended up finding something in doing marketing for a local some local media companies um, which was interesting. And that was kind of my day job. I did that for several years, but I started working pretty much right away, um, doing some work in restaurants. And I, I had a friend who, uh, also from Boulder, uh, went to school in Boulder and he was working as a sushi chef and his, uh, his girlfriend at the time was one of the pastry chefs at Kraft. And so, you know, that was kind of the only place I could get in at night because I was walking in after my day job. And so it was kind of the only, you know, doing pastry was kind of the only area I could get in without interfering too much when I walked into the kitchen at 630. (laughs) Um, And so I started off, uh, you know, of course, craft is incredibly well regarded. And and I love that style of kind of, you know, new American food. Um, And uh, so, yeah, so that's but that's, you know, just kind of landed there because, you know, kind of luck and in pastry because I wasn't going to interfere too much.
3: And was it during this time, was it parallel when you were pursuing this MBA at uh, New York's NYU Stern school?
4: Yeah. So I spent, uh, about my first, you know, six, seven years in New York, um, not floundering, but, you know, sort of dipping my toes, as you said, and experimenting in different things and, um, realizing that I, uh, that I wanted to be doing something in food um, something entrepreneurial um, that probably wasn 't going to be something in the fine dining world, but i wasn 't sure what that was, so I went back to Stern um, and did this kind of part time MBA and used that as an opportunity to kind of take a step back and, and think about you know what I might want to do in the food world
3: and do you, do you feel like there is that division between people who pursue cooking more professionally and those that pursue the business of
4: food more professionally or, or do you know people that have both minds? I think that it's starting to merge more maybe now. Um, You know, I think that there was, there was that kind of dichotomy um, existed, you know, um, probably many years ago, but over the last like several years, it seems to me like those things have started to merge a little bit more. You have a lot more um, people who are, you know, don't have formal culinary backgrounds like myself, who are able to kind of, but maybe creatively interested in food and have some experience, whether it's at home or whatever else, who are able to kind of find their way into the food world. Um, And then you have, you know, you have a lot of like really great creative culinary folks from the fine dining world or or whatever else that are, you know, kind of becoming, you know, entrepreneurs and actually running the business in addition to, you know, having this insanely, you know, great creative talent.
3: Yeah, I so the word entrepreneurship. What what does that mean to you? Like where where do you start with an idea and how do you grow that thing? Oh, that's uh Just a little question.
4: Yeah, that's a tough <laughs> question. Um, cuz did you have a business model for Mexicu? No. So so I guess to answer you to frame it around Mexicu, I think the way that Mexiqu evolved was um looking at an opportunity with um food trucks and this was for us this was back in 2009 and um so we sort of my co-founder and i sort of identified this this opportunity and and sort of saw that this food truck this like really great cool food truck trend that was happening in uh california and a couple of the other cities hadn't really hit new york and um that just seemed like a pretty compelling opportunity and so that was in, in 2010 when we launched Mexique. Um So I think, you know, I think in, in that sense, it was, you know, in the case of Mexicu, it was about like kind of looking at this opportunity. And then, you know, we sort of fit the brand and the culinary side of things, you know, around this food truck opportunity.
3: Do you, do you think of it as an opportunity now in retrospect or was it kind of exploiting a loophole? um The food trucks back then, yeah, it was a little more the Wild West. Oh, totally Wild West. I mean, west. it was it was fascinating, and I mean, it was Wild West in the sense of, too. I'm sure there must have been shootouts because yeah. you know vying for that spot. Oh, close to it for sure. What What was it yeah. like just being part of that movement at that time? That was just so unregulated.
4: Uh, so it was really cool. I mean, it was a very exciting time to be, you know. um getting involved in the food world and in and, and the form of food trucks because like you said it was the Wild West and so uh you know that summer of two thousand ten there were you know you started to see you know a handful of trucks kind of hit the streets and it was really exciting. We we you know, those of us that sort of started to build our brands that summer had a, a lot of visibility and got a lot of attention from the food media, which was really cool. You know, I had my list of like the top you know five, ten you know, places that I would die to have, you know, Mexicu's name printed and, you know, we were in, you know, food and wine and Grub Street and Eater and all that stuff within a couple of weeks. Um, and they were just excited to cover it. It was sort of an evolution of the culinary landscape of New York. Right. So they were excited to cover it. It was really fun to be a part of, um, obviously the sort of social media aspect of things made it, um, very exciting for, you know, for us as, you know, running the business and incorporating social media and it made it exciting for consumers to be able to kind of follow these food brands and track their locations. So that was good. And there was a lot of good. Uh, it was also, um, as you said, the wild Wild West, which, um, which created a lot of challenges for the city with regulation and, um, and a lot of challenges with kind of competition with some of the, um, you know, with, with anyone from existing restaurants to some of the old school, you know, truck guys that have been out there for a while doing some of the more traditional, you know, mobile street food. Um, and that was, you know, that got a little stressful at times, sort of navigating that world. Tire slashing? Uh, pretty close to it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was, you know, we, we didn't know any better. So the first day we, we got out there to sell food um in the mexique truck we pulled up you know we 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 pulled up on fifth in the 50s i can't remember exactly where and just sort of decided we we're going to pull up in the you know in front of this you know in this major sort of major street and um and where there's a couple vendors that have probably been there for 20 years and they didn't like that very much <laughs> and you know we had a line surrounding the block within 20 minutes and uh Um, so of course we wanted to come back the next day, but yeah, there were, so there were some, there was some, you know, pretty kind of heated, some heated competition there.
3: Yeah. I mean, I also love that, you know, you took $80,000 and went on eBay and found yourself a food truck. Yeah. I mean, talk about having no true business model and building one for yourself.
4: Yeah, totally. And it was, yeah. So there was, you know, a lot of like sort of fun scrappiness there. And uh, you know, it's a from a yeah from an entrepreneurship perspective and that kind of thing. I mean, it was um, it was it was definitely a risk, and you know, in retrospect, it's I'm sort of amazed that you know we took it because you know it was really an unproven model at that point. And um, so yeah, to be sort of you know putting down a bunch of cash on a on a truck up in Woodstock and um, and then building from there, it was uh, yeah it was an interesting ride.
3: Excellent. We're going to take a quick break. Come back and talk about two of America's favorite comfort foods, Mexican and barbecue, and how you blended those two things together and how you turned a truck into a couple outstanding brick-and-mortar restaurants in Manhattan. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back.
1: program is brought to you by Chef's Collaborative, a national nonprofit network with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Chef's Collaborative members work to make sustainable practices second nature for every chef in the United States. Chef's Collaborative was founded in 1993 by visionary chefs including Rick Bayless and Alice Waters
3: and welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkell here again with Thomas Kelly of MexiQ and the Chili Lab. And we're going to talk about those chilies a little bit right now, but in the form of Mexican cuisine. Sure. Um, you know, you dabbled in grilling and smoking and barbecue, but what was it about Mexican cuisine that, that hit that same common thread and comfort of barbecue for you?
4: Yeah, I, I started to get um, attracted to that style of cooking when I was in Colorado going to school and, um, started to get some exposure to some really, you know, great Mexican food there. I mean, it's its own sort of, you know, style of iteration of Mexican food, but, um, but, uh, really, um, fell in love with the, um, use of spices and sort of fresh ingredients and the sort of like, you know, marriage of, of those two things. And, using really great, bright, fresh ingredients and, um, and marrying those with sort of like the depth of flavor of the spice and, um, and then just immediately, um, started kind of experimenting with fusing that with, you know, they, they just, just, those flavors also marry so well with, you know, smoke and barbecue. Um, and it's such a great way to kind of brighten up that, you know, classic smoked Southern, you know, comfort food.
3: You know, Colorado is, and I've been, is is a funny place to think of there being a lot of Mexican cuisine. Right. But, but there is. And there's also a lot of heat, a lot of chili in the food there, yeah, too. right. And why there isn't that in New York, or why it isn't to the level of Mexican cuisine in other
4: places around the country, still blows my mind a little bit. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I know. And it's gotten, I mean, there's more and more uh, great Mexican and barbecue, but I remember when I moved to New York, um, you know, uh, Twelve, thirteen years ago, uh, it was pretty pretty bleak. There was just not a lot of um, not a lot of you know not a lot of Mexican not a lot of barbecue, um, which blew my mind, you know, especially as you said, coming from Colorado, where again, it was sort of one iteration they had sort of their own style of of Mexican food and of course they have you know the like hatched chilies which are kind of everywhere and this great kind of form of green chili gravies and sauces and salsas and that kind of thing. Um, but you know, now I, I mean, I still can't find good hatch green chilies here.
3: I got a up for you. Okay, good. <laughs> um, you know, back to Mexican cuisine. I, I just want to read a couple, uh, adjectives that you use describing that spicy, fresh, flavorful, and sure. then barbecue is smoky mouthwatering that low and slow wood smoking. And to kind of just mash those two things up, um, seems almost polar, you know, having something fresh and and, and bright and vivid and then taking such deep, deep flavors. But what do you think it does to the food that makes both barbecue and Mexican
4: better rather than just hodgepodge of what they could be? Yeah, well, so I I think to begin with, there's so many kind of... There's a lot of um, really... uh, They share a lot of the sort of core fundamental elements, so... Um, you know, there's, of course, a lot of, I mean, we talk about smoking and, um, you know, with, with barbecue, but, you know, that's, I mean, there's so much of, you know, Mexican food at its core is about, you know, just sort of open flames, right? Open flames and grilling or smoking and that kind of thing. So that, you know, you're finding tons of sort of smoked meats and smoked vegetables in Mexican food. It just, you know, is defines, you know, southern barbecue. Um, so they share that core element. And then, you know, a lot of other ingredients as well. Like, so corn is an obvious example. I mean, you sort of find these great ingredients like, you know, corn at the, you know, at the core of um, a lot of, you know, of course, um, you know, Mexican cooking and masa and tortillas and um, but also in, uh, you know, southern, you know, barbecue. So I think that they're like there are enough sort of common elements so that it's a, you know, it's a it's a it's a combination of, of foods that's pretty easy Um, And then in terms of the way they complement each other, I mean, I think the, you know, barbecue, as you said, has these great, rich, um, deep, smoky flavors. I love that about it. Um, I love as as much as you probably do, like eating a huge plate of, you know, smoked meats, proteins, and some of the classic sides. It's also really heavy, right? And so one of the things that's been fun to do with Mexico is take, um, take those like really great flavors of southern barbecue and put them in you know formats that um, that are a little bit lighter and tacos or whatever else and then add these like acids and herbs and chilies and other things that kind of brighten up the you know those deep smoky flavor profiles
3: i mean, we can go straight to brisket yeah i feel like brisket is at the core of what mexico is because obviously being a smoked meat then delivered in taco form, Yeah, where does it lay? It's not like your menu has two sections, one Mexican, one barbecue. Right. So what do people think of that? What, what do they consider
4: it? Well, so what do they consider the... Uh, brisket, a, a, a brisket taco. Brisket as an example. Um, I think it's like the perfect
3: yeah. fusion of those two things. And it's, you know, a little in your face. It's, it's very simple, very streamlined. It's right. exactly what it is. But then when you have it, you realize... That they are kind of the same thing.
4: Exactly. I mean, that's the thing is I'm not sure. It's it's really hard to you know to define you know one or the other and sort of to take a you know specific item um, like brisket taco as an example and um, you know to uh, to categorize it as one or the other.
3: The Other mashup though, the ham burrito, <laughs> jam burrito. I can never. I can't say it. The jamb- uh, jambalaya yeah. burrito.
4: The jam burrito. <laughs> Where where did that get folded into the mix? Oh my gosh, I don't know. I mean, so, you know, Mexico is is much so I love Southern American, you know, smoking and barbecue, but that's sort of also the we've we've taken, you know, a lot of inspiration from you know, other southern cultures of food and so um you know, I also love food coming out of New Orleans and that kind of thing and we just started experimenting with with jambalayas that had um, additional you know flavors coming from chilies and and other you know mexican ingredients and um that just kind of enhanced the spice and flavor profile of of those things and so that's kind of how this jambalaya emerged and we do it with a smoked chorizo rather than you know an andouille um and we use smoked chicken um which just adds another like kind of layer of flavor to you know jambalaya which is already pretty flavorful and uh and then we serve it in a burrito with, you know, it just kind of layers and layers of flavor.
3: I'm I'm slightly scared of it, just the yeah. word itself. But I feel like it's one of those things you sit down and it's a challenge, and you eat, and then you go home and take a nap because yeah. it's just there's so much. Not just food, but there's so much to think about while eating that. There is. There's
4: a lot. <laughs> there's a lot to think about. Um, yeah, you know, we're using. Um, you know, we're using uh, brown rice, and we are. Um, you know, it's not. It's not. It's not quite as housing as it might sound like. Um, but yeah, it's. It's a lot. to It might be housing for the head. Yeah. Not necessarily housing <laughs> for the belly.
3: <laughs> I like that term. You know, but it's so satiating. All your food, and I've stopped by, and you know, Thank having you. tacos, you can. Choose your pulled pork, blackened fish, brisket, Cajun shrimp, smoked chicken, right. avocado, shroom. Um, you have the options of what you think are traditionally, you know, heavy mains proteins but again like you said they're they're so light and refreshing you walk out of there it can it's a it's it's a viable lunch place because you can
4: you can operate after lunch right that's the goal that's the goal we definitely the goal is to have people walking out feeling like totally satisfied and feeling like they had great you know mexican and or barbecue yeah um but also you know feeling good the complexity though of some of the chilies uh
3: you have another side business but that parlays perfectly into what you do at mexico called the chili lab because, as much as there is spicy and heat, just using those descriptors isn't enough to talk about the totally. diverse flavors of what chili are. Yeah. We're not just talking about like dried guajillos from Mexico. We're talking about piri piri from yeah. Africa. And w- right. why why this investment? Why this intrigue
4: into the world of chili? Um, you know, the more I, I cooked with chilies, the more I realized, you know, how much to your point, how much sort of nuance there is with um in variety there is with the flavor profiles um and so you know especially with Mexican food i mean that's what makes it you know so kind of interesting and especially sort of the you know regional dishes and once you get into these kind of moles and adobos and that kind of thing um you know there's so much variety with those things depending on you know what chili you're using or what kind of combination you're you're using and the, the range of, of flavors is is just incredible. You know, like you said, everything from floral to herbal to, you know, more raisiny, chocolate, tobacco. I mean, it just the, the flavor profiles just kind of go on and on. Um, and so it just kind of gives you so much umph creatively, you know, once you start actually like, looking at the nuances of these flavor profiles
3: and kind of like corn before which you said was you know uh, a versatile ingredient because it can be in barbecue and it can be in mexican i feel like what you've done with chili lab being able to use salt as a vehicle or butter as a vehicle right uh you know chili infused or chili compounded in both of those uh, it's such a smart way to introduce somebody something right rather than saying here
4: have a chili yeah it makes it really easy to use exactly so you know for for you know it's uh you know we have you know we sell tons of different sort of chili infused salts and that sort of thing and, and it, it you know with varieties of flavor profiles that are very clearly printed on each of the products and it just makes it really fun to be able to have you know all those at your disposable right at your disposal right next to you know your classic salt and pepper and just use those to kind of you know flavor different dishes that you're cooking or eating
3: you know when you ask for hot sauce you're not asking. Can I have a hot sauce as Chipotle and Anaheim? Right. And but what is the hot sauce on the table at Mexicu? What what is that combination of peppers there?
4: Yeah. So it's um, it's primarily Chipotle. Um, Chipotle is obviously one of the more you know kind of well known chilies, um, especially as of you know recently. Uh, but it's so so good, and it's got this incredibly complex flavor that's sort of sweet and of course you know smoky. It's smoked jalapenos, right? And so you know especially for mexico where we're kind of looking to you know pick up on it's it's such a great chili to use to pick up on the smoked flavor that you find in the proteins um so yeah so we use uh, primarily chipotles in there there's also uh, a little bit of pequin and a little bit of guajillo so and the three of them all have very different flavors and kind of round each other out
3: i'm not saying that i have or i would but how many bottles get stolen
4: Oh, God. I mean, it happens all the time. It's just sort of, yeah, and I like, just want
3: to reiterate, I never have, and I won't, <laughs> but I consider it every so often. You know, and that's, that's part of the problem of running a restaurant like you do. Um, you don't call it fast casual. You don't call it QSR, quick service retail. You call it quick casual. But with ticket times under five minutes and entree prices between 10 and $15, yeah. I mean, how many bodies come in and out of there every day?
4: Um, yeah, uh, hundreds. I mean, we, uh, yeah, we are able to move through quite a few people. Um, but more than like sort of thinking about how many bodies I think, you know, what we try to do is think about like what's important to people that are kind of eating out right now. Right. And, um, and those things for us are, uh, really great quality food, um, that's unique and flavorful, bold, fresh kind of flavor profiles. Um, with, again, great quality ingredients um, at a price point that's manageable, right? Um, so for us, that lies, you know, somewhere in the, like, you know, 10 to $20 range. Um, great cocktails that are made from scratch, just like the food. And, you know, the ability to come in, get great food, have a cocktail, maybe not at lunch, and, you know, kind of get in and out pretty quickly and feel good when you leave. And so, you know, I think it's that, like, that really sort of drives that, you know, that model. Um, and people seem to be
3: enjoying it. You know, it's it's an interesting model because you you have this kind of angel investor advisor person on your team, Sandy Beal, who's best known for Ruby Tuesdays, mm-hmm. and some of us also know him for BlackBerry Farm. Yeah, and Mexico is the fusion of those two ideals know a place that you can go every day and feel comfortable and have a quick or long lunch or dinner right. or some place that you can invest yourself in right like blackberry farm you want to go there and you want to be a part of it but right. i know so many people who have incorporated mexico and nomad and times square as to part of their routine
4: yeah that's great no we're very very lucky to have a lot of you know really um loyal customers that kind of you know are, are coming on a on a regular basis Um, And we're extremely lucky to have our, you know, um, my my partner, Sandy, who um, has incredible, you know, depth of experience and and a variety of, you know, aspects of the food world.
3: I mean, they must be distinctly different, though. Uh, Nomad and Times Square. I mean, how do you operate
4: those two underneath the same auspice but kind of treat them separately? Yeah, they are different, actually. You know, they're they're really... uh, um, very different vibes this, this, the sizes of the restaurant, the nomad location is twice the size of the Times Square location. Um, but we're not, you know, we're, we're trying to expand the business and, and build some more restaurants. We're going to start looking outside of the city soon, which is exciting. Um, we're not, and we're going to do it in the form of Mexicu. Uh, the food is fundamentally, you know, going to be the same at, at, future restaurants. But, you know, I think one of the differences with some of the newer, uh, multi-unit concepts, And some of the like old school, you know, chain restaurants is that, you know, I think we don't feel like we have to fit into the exact same mold with every restaurant that we do. Right. I think that's, you know, I think our, you know, customers and, you know, consumers are looking for that more and more as well. They're, you know, um, I don't think I have an issue with a chain restaurant per se, but they want to feel like they're going to, you know, their own version of that restaurant in their neighborhood.
3: Yeah. Are are there other, well, I don't want to use the word chain and franchise, but that style of restaurant that you've seen iterated in, in, you know, different models, some, some that look like more formal restaurants, some that are, you know, grab and go
4: like who, who does that on the market right now? Um, that's a good question. Uh, there's a bunch of sort of, you know, um, restaurants like ours that are scaling that we, uh, that we really admire and meatball shop and, um, Bar in barcelona and um guys at fortina and um i can't think of anyone offhand that's doing um you know sort of like drastically different you know business models um but i'm sure they're out there
3: yeah and i'm sure yours can fit because when you walk into mexico and you see that wall of tequila and bourbon, Right. Um, it can definitely be a place that you stay all night.
4: Right, right. That's the goal. That's the goal. <laughs> I said,
3: well, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with Mexicu And, you know, if you got $80,000 in the dream, go on to eBay and maybe find yeah, yourself right. a food truck. Or, don't do it. <laughs> or don't. <laughs> do, well, what do is that saying? Uh, uh, do as I say, not as I do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should open up uh, MexiQ.com school of entrepreneurship
4: (laughs) (laughs) well thanks very much for having me excellent
3: thank you thomas stop in mexico check out the chili lab and hope to have you back here on the food scene next week tuesday at three a big thanks to chefs collaborative for sponsoring music by cookies and david for engineering cheers